Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship on this beautiful Sunday morning. You know, Bill and I looked out at the weather report today, and we just decided, no robes. You know, we just wear casual shirts, so glad everybody's here. No, you're here, and we're here uh, after this worship service to celebrate our homecoming picnic across the street in the park, and the Christian Education Board and other volunteers have, have prepared the way, and we're so excited, and we also have our choir back today, which is lovely. But before we start our worship service... Let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude. Let us join our voices together in the call to worship that's printed in the bulletin. Come, people of God, to know again who you are and return to the one who gives you life. Gather as people of faith, embracing renewal and eager for reconciliation with God and all humankind. Let us worship God.
And let's join together in a time of prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks and praise for bringing us here today from very all sorts of places in our own lives. We come from places of joy, places of hardness and difficulty in our lives, and, and places in between. But you call us here, each one of us, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be comforted, to be challenged, to be set free to be the people we were made to be. Men and women, boys and girls, all of us together as individuals and as a community, you've called us together for a purpose. And so we pray that today as we gather in this place, we can get a sense once again of your mission for us, your mission for us as we minister to one another, as we reach out to those not part of this particular flock with the good news of love and mercy and compassion and grace. All of us need that as well in our own lives if we are to share it with others. And so meet us now, holy God, in a time of silence as we come and share our hearts with you. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. Let's pray together now the prayer of preparation and confession that you'll find here printed in the bulletin. God, we look into our hearts and we are not proud of what we see there. We look into our mind and is cluttered with worries and concerns and important business. We look at our hands and they're full of the things we think we need for our comfort and security. God, you welcome us before we are ready, while we are still in a mess. But you don't care about the mess. You love us, love each one of us with the same enthusiasm and hope. We know what we can be. You help us to empty our hearts and minds and hands, all that is unnecessary, and teach us how to care for and welcome one another every day with the same affection and generosity with which you welcome us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in a world of constant change, one day you're on top of the world, the next day there's all so much trouble, and sometimes you're in between. There's so much change, but one fact always remains true, that in Jesus Christ, God is with you. God forgives you, accepts you, promises to be with you wherever you go, and to guide you to become the person you were meant to be, what you were created to be. So receive that good news. Be assured that it's true and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. If you happen to be seated on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad, which is right in front of you, sign yourself in, pass it on down. If you're visiting here today, a special welcome to you. Uh, there's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information as well. If you turn to the color page in your bulletins, this is the uh, announcement highlights. There's another two pages of announcements that you can read as well, which gives more detailed information. But uh, you'll notice here that um, today, uh, the big news is that following this service, we have the homecoming picnic across the street in the park. Uh, the Christian Education Board has been working hard on that. We're going to have uh, food and live music. Mitch Polzak and his band will be there. A great opportunity. So please come over and join us following this service over in the park for the homecoming picnic. Last Sunday, Scott Willis, the head of our refugee task force, made the announcement here that we are going to be sponsoring our fourth refugee family. We have been assigned a family now officially uh, from the Jewish Family Services 
Uh, it is the, the, there's an information there. It's the Fosley family. They're coming from Kandahar, Afghanistan. He's been working with the U.S. government there as a mechanic. Uh, he has five children, he has his wife, and they have five children together. They're coming here. We're going to be picking them up at the airport on the 19th of September and getting them established into an apartment. The three biggest needs that we have are, number one, drivers. There's people, we need to be able to take them to a doctor's appointments and official appointments and meetings and stuff like that, so we desperately need drivers. Chris Monty is here today. Chris, would you stand up right where you are? Chris is head of our, our team, our transportation team, and if you could talk with him afterwards, Susan is there uh, as well. The information is listed there. There is an email that you can uh, let us know if you're available, even if it's just for an afternoon or a morning or a weekend. We definitely need drivers, also English tutors, and grocery shopping. So those are the things that are currently needed. Um, it's a big job and it's exciting that we're gonna be having a new family. So if you can help, please let us know about that as well. Confirmation registration is happening for the eighth graders uh, signing up to be part of the confirmation class this year. And then uh, a local service opportunity is the Hope Cafe. That is an opportunity to, to serve a meal to homeless people in Oakland. It's happening next Saturday from five to eight o'clock and you can sign up to be a part of that ministry as well. There's also an announcement about visiting the church, our website, the whole worship service is on the website. You can go and visit that as well. Can all the children from Sunday school come forward? We're having a children's moment and then we will go to our class. If you're shy, you can come up too. We don't bite. <laughs> I see some. Are you sure about that? <laughs> hey guys, I'm going to talk to you today. How are you? Anybody doing okay today? Yeah? How many of you are doing well today? I am going to be standing right here so that everybody can sort of hear me today. I also, because it's so sunny, I'm going to put on a hat. See? I got a hat on my head. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it, to put a hat on indoors. But what I want to talk to you about today... Yeah, you like the paper clip. It's a secret. It's a secret. So, I want to talk to you today about something that we call school spirit. How many of you guys have school spirit? Do you know what school spirit is? How about you all? Any of you have school spirit? School spirit is something that we have. You go to school and you really love your school. You love to be there. You love your friends and you feel connected to everybody. So last year, my son went to college at the University of San Francisco. I was so excited, especially because the mascot for his team are the Dons. And my name is Don. But then, the reason I have a paper clip here is because I had now to get rid of this hat because he has transferred to Fordham University in New York City and now I have to become a Ram, a Ram, which is not exactly my name. So that is what school spirit is. It's wearing colors, it's having mascots. You can play around with that if you want to. Now, I want to show you, though, where I have school spirit, and this is where I had some problems yesterday. Because I went to UCLA. And our school spirit's a little bit down right now because we're not doing so. Hey, guys, why don't you just drop it, okay? Just sit down. Too much school spirit going on here. So, how do you know if somebody has school spirit? Right now I do. Yeah, now you do. You wear colors, you might know a cheer, you might root for your team, something like that. How many of you all went to UCLA? I see one person, I see two people. All right, so just to get the Stanford and Cal people upset, let's do an eight clap, all right? Ready? Go, let's go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U, C, L, A, U, C, L, A, fight, fight, fight. Okay. The reason I'm not so happy to do that is because I'm not feeling good after the last few weeks of football games. But be that as it may, that's one way I know that they went to UCLA. 
these people that we know at Shear. Now, in the Christian church, we also have something called a spirit. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard of something called the Spirit of Christ? Yeah. How do you know if somebody has the Spirit of Christ? Hmm, is there a cheer that we do? No. Are there particular colors that we wear? Not necessarily. How do you know if somebody has the Spirit of Christ? You have any guesses? No idea. I am going to tell you. If you look in the Bible, and today in Sunday school, you're going to learn more about this too, Paul writes in this book to a people called the Galatians, this is how you know if somebody has the Spirit of Christ. If they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of things there. I want to focus today on one word, peace. How do you know if somebody has peace? Any question, any idea? Yeah, how do you know? They're peaceful. God, that's always a good answer in church, yeah. You're going to hear a story in Sunday school today about a guy named Isaac. And he is a guy in the Old Testament. We hear a story about him that he and his family were really thirsty and they didn't have enough water. And they were with some other people, but these people wouldn't share their water with them. So what, how do you think that made Isaac and his family feel? Sad and also kind of desperate, and there was kind of a conflict. But then, later on, after Isaac moved away, he found a place where he had plenty of water, and the same people who wouldn't share it with him before, they came and they said, hey, we're out of water. Will you share with us? What do you think he did? Yes? He could have said no because they didn't share the water with him, and that would have led to a bunch of fighting and conflict. But yes, he said yes. He shared his water with people who didn't have enough, and in that way they made peace. And so I want you to go off to Sunday school together and think about that. But before you go, we do have a sign that sometimes we use that says peace. Do you know it with your hands? Oh, you'll show like this. All right, well, go in peace and go learn more in Sunday school today about how to make peace with other people. Thanks. Next time I'll wear a t-shirt when I do that one. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy God of peace, we thank you for the many gifts that you share with us, the gift of life itself, the gift of children, the gift of community, the various communities of which we are part. We are made to be part of something bigger than ourselves, whether it is a, a school that has spirit or a family or a club, or the people of God. You have made us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, to expand our compassion and our circle of care, our circle of connection. And so, Holy God, we are, thank you that you have made us this way and pray that you will guide us to enter into that spirit of community that calls us to, as Christians, share and be at peace and love and have mercy and generosity and kindness and self-control. Remind us of that today as you guide us forward. Give us vision, all of us together and each of us as individuals for the road ahead and determination to get moving on the path that you set before us. And as a congregation, we are joyful to be here today, to have the choir be back with us and to sing your, your praises and uh, to share in the, uh, the family that you've created here Holy God, you are both immense, awesome, great, and glorious, yet you are also intimate and embodied and incarnate in your Son, Jesus Christ, and by his Spirit with all of us as well. And so we thank you for that. You are indeed alive, and you are actively concerned about the whole world and about each one of us. So we pray today for brothers and sisters all over this planet, 
right here in this sanctuary who are facing difficulties and despair and trials and tribulations. For those in war-torn lands and violent neighborhoods, we pray for peace. For those who are sick in hospitals, at home or anywhere else, we pray for healing. For those whom society has forgotten, whether they're out on the street or they're locked up in prison, give them hope and renewal, rehabilitation, and give us all release from whatever has us imprisoned, that all may be made whole, that all may find their way home. We especially pray for those in the Bahamas and the Carolinas and now in Maritime Canada who are who are facing the difficulty of storms in their own lives and destruction and loss of life, loss of home. Pray for them as they rebuild and help us to be with them as they need our help and your help. Holy God, in Christ you set your people free, all of your children from the time of the exodus from Egypt throughout history. And you set us free as well from judgment and fear and free to be accepted free to be loved, free to flourish, free to become who you made us to be. So take us as we are, revive in us a sense of true freedom. By the power of your Spirit, open us up to the possibility and the potential we have as your children to love and to serve in the name of Jesus, who teaches us all to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Welcome back, choir. It's great to have you. Yeah. I'm uh, delighted today to be, be starting a five-week sermon series based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. We're going to be uh, going through it in these five parts. This is probably the last thing that Paul ever wrote. He's in jail. He's in Rome. He's waiting for his trial. When his trial comes up, he is convicted and executed. So these words that we're reading are very touching and very tender. He's thinking back to a time about 10 years earlier when he spent two and a half years in Ephesus founding this church. And so he's writing to them to give them some words of encouragement. And the, the, the words of encouragement are just as, as valid and relevant to our lives today as they were to them. So let's read here from uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who were also faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritual blessings in Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also who have heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. A little historical background on this letter, this text. The town of Ephesus was a major seaport uh, in the ancient world. Today, it's seven miles from the ocean because the river silted up and the bay filled in with land, and so it's no longer on the ocean. It's inland, about seven miles. It was founded in the 12th century BC. In 336, Alexander the Great conquered it. And then it was ruled by the Romans, and then by the Ottoman Empire, and today we call it uh, the country of Turkey. Many of you have been there and visited Ephesus um, because it's a, a popular stop for cruise ships. And because in the 19th century, the British excavated the city and they found these perfectly preserved ruins. In fact, it's one of the, the most famous Greek ruins in the world or is the, the town of Ephesus. They have a 27,000 seat amphitheater, 27,000 seats, and it still has perfect acoustics in it. They still have concerts in there today. They had a complete water system for 300,000 people. And above all, they had the grandest site in the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. Those of you that have been to Athens and seen the Parthenon, that's nothing. You could put two Parthenons inside the Temple of Artemis. It had 179 columns, only one is left standing. But it was giant, giant and people would come from all over the world to see this place. Also because of the gods. Artemis, who was originally called Diana, the Greek god Diana was renamed Artemis by the Romans. She was originally a hunting goddess, but she morphed into a fertility goddess. A fertility goddess. And uh, they, uh, she was uh, amply endowed with six breasts. Too many, I think, but... Um, but that's, that's how it was, and, and you could buy little statues of Artemis. 
It was a huge business because people believed that if you could have one of these little statues of Artemis, well, if you wanted to have children, you could have children. If you needed healing, you could have healing. It was like magic to have one of these little, little statues of Artemis. So people would come from all over the world to worship there and to buy these statues. Well, Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus, longer than any other town that he lived in. Two and a half years there. And in the book of Acts, it says that he lectured in Tyrannus Hall, a hall owned by a man named Tyrannus, from 11 to 4. Now, those are the hours in which slaves were available. Slaves had to work in the morning uh, with their family. They had to work in the evening. But in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, from 11 to 4, they might have some free time. So they would go to this hall, and Paul would lecture them and teach them about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful that we have the book of Acts in addition to Paul's letter to the Ephesians because Acts, which is a history book written by Luke, tells the story of what happened when Paul went to each of these different cities. And the story that he tells of his visit to Ephesus is really amazing and dramatic. And so I'm going to read it to you. This is the description from the, the Acts of the Apostles of what happened when Paul went to the city of Ephesus. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. When some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way, that was the name of the church, the way, spoke evil of the way before the congregation, he left them, taking the disciples with him, and he argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And then this amazing, dramatic thing happens. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver statues of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade, and he said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's a danger not only to this trade of ours that may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. In other words, this was big business, silversmithing and travel industry. The city was filled with, con oh, it says, it says, and when they heard this, they were enraged and they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's a good definition of a riot, isn't it? Most of the people have no idea what's going on. They don't even know. They just know that there's a lot of commotion going on there. Well, it worked out okay because a guy named Alexander came in there. He was a politician, and he uh, calmed everybody down. He told, uh, you know, Demetrius that he could go to court if he needed to, and Paul was able to escape with his life in this very, very dramatic situation in Ephesus. So fast forward maybe 10 years. Paul is now in jail in Rome. And he's thinking back on that time that he had there with the Ephesians and the little church. And it was hard to be a Christian in those days. Not only were the Romans against them, but the, the Jews in the synagogue were. They were small and they were persecuted. And he wants to write to them and let them know that he hasn't forgotten them. And he wants to encourage them. So he writes and he gives them some, some beautiful words of encouragement, which which I find encouraging myself, and I hope that you do as well. Let me read to you again one of the sentences, because it 
it's kind of hard to isolate them all. He wrote this. In the fullness of time, God will gather up all things in him. In the fullness of time, when when it's the right time, God is going to gather up everything in him. Do you realize what good news that is? Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be left behind. Nothing will be broken and unrepaired. That in the fullness of time, God will gather all things in him so that all will be healed and, and those things that are broken will be fixed. It doesn't promise that every day of our life, the circumstances are going to be wonderful. But the big picture at the end, you don't have to worry about He's telling the Ephesians, because God has it under control. He has a plan for the fullness of time, and he will accomplish this. So when we look back, we can see what he has accomplished. And the two main things that Paul talks about that we are given as a gift are, first of all, we have faith. He says that we have been given faith as a gift from God. Did you know that that you're not responsible for your faith, that you didn't create it, you didn't make it up, you didn't decide it, that it was a gift from God. I remember the first time that I I understood this in in my own life. I uh, had a job for a magazine called the Wittenberg Door. It was a Christian magazine. And one part of my job was to interview, to do the interviews. There was a man that I really respected, his writing. His name was Richard Selzer. He was a doctor, but his writing was so, he would write about life, really, and it was so powerfully deep and spiritual that it was incredibly inspiring to me. And what was more amazing was that he was an atheist. And I decided I wanted to, to talk to him. And so I flew back. He, he taught at Yale University in the medical school, also taught in the English department, writing, which I thought was not fair to have both of those skills in one person, you know. Um, but, uh, and I sat down and talked to him. And um, he said this in the interview. He said, my entire life has been one long search for faith. I haven't found it. I don't believe in God. Having said that, I want you to know that I love the idea of God. I love piety. Without it, you lead your life unmoored in a state of isolation. You're a tiny speck in a vast universe. I'm jealous, frankly. I feel as though I've missed out on the greatest thing that can happen to a person, faith in God. It must be wonderful. He went to church at Yale Chapel every Sunday in hopes that some Sunday God would find him and give him the gift of faith. I think I know what the problem was, though. I think Richard had an idea of faith that was not realistic. Being a scientist, a doctor, he thought that to have faith, you had to have everything figured out. You had to have uniform belief. Every little hole had to be fixed or every little thing, piece, you know, everything had to fit together perfectly in this little puzzle for you to claim that you had faith. But that's never been the Christian definition of faith. Our definition of faith has always had room for doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. In fact, someone said there's more faith in honest doubt than in all the creeds. In his book, Wishful Thinking, Frederick Buechner defines doubt this way. Whatever your faith is, that there is a God or that there is not a God... If you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Doubt is the ants in the pants. It's the thing which keeps your faith alive. We come from the wrong end when we say to ourselves, we have to work on faith. We've got to build more faith. It's not something that we work on or we build. It is a gift in God And it has always, always come with second thoughts, doubts, other kinds of things. And the second thing, bit of good news that was in this uh, particular passage we read, was the good news of our forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, uh, Paul says that 
we have been brought into the royal family, that we've been adopted as God's sons, that we were adopted as God's sons. That's an amazing, amazing claim. In the ancient world, did you know that they didn't just adopt children, but that adults could be adopted? If you were an heir, if you were a Roman couple, let's say, and you had no children, it was fairly common for you to choose one of the slaves. Maybe the the smartest one or the most responsible or the hardest working, working. And you could then adopt that slave to be your son, to be in your family. You'd call in the magistrate. They would have an official little ceremony that would happen. And boom, in an instant, that person went from being a slave to being a son. Everything changed in the moment of that adoption there. The entire world changed. The slave who previously was owned by the family and who owned nothing himself was now every heir to everything that the couple had. The slave who had spent his life serving others was now served by the other slaves. Everything changed when you were adopted into the family. Paul says that's what God has done for us. That we've been adopted as sons with all the rights and responsibilities that go with that. Everything that Jesus has, we now have as well. Now there's an interesting twist to this. Uh, The word, it says that we were adopted as sons, not as children. Uh, I read about a woman who was studying this passage, and she had been raised uh, in an old-school, traditional Chinese family. And she said that in, in that family, there was one son, and there were several daughters, and it was very clear to everyone that it was all about the son. It was all about the son. It was a patriarchal society. Most of the resources, the attention, the energy went toward the son. That's what it was all about. And she said that when she read this passage, that she had been adopted by God as a son, she realized that her day as a second-class citizen was over, that she will now receive all the benefits that a son enjoys in a traditional culture, just like a traditional patriarchal culture that Paul was talking about, that now she had all the rights and privileges of a son. It's the highest honor that God could bestow on us. It's the greatest piece of good news. Paul says, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Our adoption means that we are loved like Christ is loved by God. We're honored. We matter greatly to God. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He's promising you a far better life. He's promising a life of greatness and joy because you have been adopted into the royal family. He's promising a life of nobility and one that will never end because you now, like Jesus Christ, are a son of God. And that's good news. Amen.
us give thanks to God together for all of God's gifts to us as we pray together the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed here in the bulletin. Eternal God, you have called your people from east and west and north and south to gather as the body of Christ and be the church in word and deed. By the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us faithful to your will. Go with us to the streets, to our homes, to our places of labor and leisure, that whether we are gathered or scattered, we may be servants to others. Use us, holy God, and our offerings, gifts, and tithes to do your work in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. place that you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.